this, you know, every, every week, Minister Hector and I, we have a conversation about what went right, what went wrong, what could have been better. And I just want to say it now for the record, I have nothing to say about the worship portion, amen, about the singing portion. I, and even if I did, it wouldn't be worth it because it's, you know, it is so, so important to have gospel-centered, scripture-rich songs that you sing. Sincerely, we could just leave right now. I could pray. I'm not. We're not. But we could because God has spoken. God's word has been sung. Our faith has been built. The blur that you may have walked in here with, I assure you, you don't feel it now. The confusion that may have surrounded your mind before you entered into this place, it's gone. Because you've worshipped the Lord clearly, having a clear mind of what it's all really about. It's all about Jesus. Amen. And so we are encouraged in our faith that no matter how blurry things get, we always got to come back to the center. We've, al we've always got to come back to Jesus and who he is and what he is about. And that's what this new series is that we're going to be starting today. I'm going, to, I'm going to do a series for the next four weeks entitled Own the Vision. Own the Vision. Last week I talked about our vision, which is to please the Lord in everything that we do. That our lives would be marked by faith is what, we, is what I pray and what I desire for you in this year. That your life wouldn't be marked by anything else but faith. And faith is worked out because of what? Because without faith it is impossible to please God. As we live our faith, as we honor God, we are living for the glory of God. And that is the vision of the church. But how is it that we own the vision? It's by living the mission. We own the vision by living the mission. Say that with me. We own the vision. Hold on, hold on. Let's say it together. We own the vision by living the mission. There we go. That's better. We own the vision by living the mission. And what's the mission? Every week, we, re we repeat these words. You hear them every week. We are committed to. We are committed to. We are committed to. Uh, we're committed to. Y'all died on me, so, you know. But every week, we say those words, and that is the mission of Core Faith Church, to be disciples of Jesus Christ for the next four weeks, because I think we need to refocus. I think that the body of Christ needs a reset, that it needs to refocus in this season on what we are really called to and what we are really about, and it is about the mission that God has given his church. So I will ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew chapter 24. Today, we're going to talk about loving God. And we've already gone through Matthew 24 in a series toward the uh, latter part of the year in 2020. But I want us to go back to the scripture because I want us to look at some things that I expounded on during that time. But I want to, I want to lay a foundation for what it means to love God and why loving God is such an important component to being a disciple of Jesus. Why is loving God so important? So Matthew chapter 24, verse, um, we're going to read, I have here verses 1 through 14. And so if you would, if you could, if you would just stand with me as we read God's word together. And I want us to read these verses, and I want us to see what the Lord is communicating to his disciples some 2,000 years ago around about there, and he is having a conversation with them. It says in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. 
And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one, of the, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? This is a loaded question if there ever was. When is this temple going to be thrown down? What's going to be the sign of your coming? And what's the sign of the end of the... I mean, that's a big question. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Do you hear those words of Jesus? In the midst of this, see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famine, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. And here's where I want to focus our time. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Now remember, he's speaking to his disciples. Hence, he is speaking to us. Let the church hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Then you, they, they will deliver you, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Are you hearing what he's saying? Then many will be offended, another version says, and many will fall away. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Remember verse 4? Take heed that no one deceives you. Then many false prophets, verse 11, will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, hear these words, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Father, we thank you so much for loving us enough to meet with us today by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this room Jesus, thank you for making this possible. You tore the veil. And so we stand here today in awe of you, God. Lord, we need to hear from you. And so as you are faithful to speak, may we be faithful to listen and may we be faithful to obey and respond. Father, remove distractions from our minds, from our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We are living in a time of lawlessness, and this is so very important that you understand this. The attack on the Capitol building, the riots throughout the summer, the new house rules banning gendered language in the name of inclusivity, and even the censorship that is taking place on social media platforms are all clear signs of the enemy's assault on our ability to love. The scripture says, and lawlessness will abound and the love of many will wax cold. Lawlessness is what we're seeing. What happened on the Capitol at the building, let me be clear, was lawlessness. It was un-American. It was not godly. The people that were, pro- that were there to protest peacefully and make their voice be heard, that's an American right. Whether you agree with why they were protesting or not is irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether you like it. We're Americans here. We have a right to protest. You have a right to protest. During the summertime, everybody who was protesting had a right to protest. Nobody had a right to riot. Nobody had a right to destroy property. That is lawlessness. We condemn it categorically. Left or right, middle, black, blue, red, it doesn't matter. We categorically call that lawlessness. It's lawlessness. When I heard the, 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 the new rule in the house about this gendered language, no, no longer are we going to have man, woman, mother, father, uncle. Man, I'm a proud daddy. That's a man thing. Ladies, you should be proud mamas. One day, proud grandmamas. Hallelujah. And if you get there, great grandmamas and great granddaddies, I'm going to be proud about that. Don't, don't take away that thing because you want to be inclusive. It's lawlessness, censorship. That's lawlessness. That is unconstitutional. That is breaking our laws. Church, don't be fooled. Don't don't think this is just about the president. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You need to understand that lawlessness will abound and the enemy is behind all of it. He's there pulling the strings. He's there as the puppet master. And what he wants is to attack love. He wants to destroy our ability to love because what? If you've been on Facebook since Tuesday, you know what time it is. (laughs) If you've been on Twitter since that time, you know what time it is. You've been on Instagram. I don't have TikTok, so I don't know. Hello. Those other places, you know, what, you know, Snapchat, I've I've stopped at Instagram. That's where I'm at. I'm just letting you know. I, I don't need to go any further. Glory to God. I'm good, right? But but what we understand is that there is a vitriol in conversations in this moment. Hypocrisy is surfacing. The division that is there, I'll take some words from um, real life. They put a video out. I was trying to watch it. My son did not allow me to watch it, so I can't tell you that I quote anything from there. But they, they, they put out a video, and in the video it said this, and I thought that it was so important because it went along with the word that the Lord gave me on Friday night, which was that we need to come to this place of unity. But it is a divided nation needs a united church. Let me say it again. 
A divided nation needs a united church. We need a church that is not just united in the building. We need a church that is not just united with the people we like. We need a church that is not just united with the people that we look like. Come on now. We need a church that is united in this moment. We need a church. Uh, listen, uh, God has been speaking to us, core faith. God has been speaking through us to the, to the world as, as the messages go out since last year about the unity that we need. We need to be unified. We need to fight for fellowship, fight for unity. Loving God is so imperative in this moment. Let me tell you why I think about this today. Loving God is the only way we will faithfully love others. Loving God is the only way that we will faithfully love others. If we do not love God, we will not be able to love others. Had such a beautiful um, um, time yesterday. And listen, I, I just want to encourage you. We, I, I believe this church more than, more, probably more than ever before, but we are living in a moment where we need to be a church that is given to intercession and prayer like God has called. The, the scripture says that we are supposed to be called a house of prayer. We are supposed to be called a house of prayer, a people who are praying and seeking God. Church, intercession is not for a few. It is for the church. It is for us to be a people of prayer. And so Friday and Saturday, as we ended our time of the three-day fast that I told you about, thank you for those who joined in, we came together and we were, we were talking about this, this desperate need for intercession and prayer. And one of the testimonies that um, Pastor John Kimball shared, he was talking about the impact of intercession and prayer. And he said that there are these two dads that he knows of and two, two fathers. This is a really tricky subject I'm about to talk about here. But two dads that have two children that have decided to go the path of homosexuality and lesbianism. Tough, tough, tough subject. And he said this, and I thought that this was so very powerful. One of them has literally excommunicated their child. Done with you. You want to walk in rebellion against God? You're not welcome here. The other one loves his daughter and his daughter's partner loves on them. He said these words that I thought were so powerful. The father that has excommunicated the child said this, how is it that you love them? He said these words. He said, it is hard not to love someone you're always praying for. I said this last week. I'll repeat it again. The condition we are in right now is because we are a prayerless church. <laughs> the condition we are in is because we are a prayerless church. A church that is marked by prayer is a church that is marked by boldness, but also compassion. A church that is marked by clarity. That, that father, let me make it clear for you. That father doesn't love his daughter and her partner without them knowing where he stands on their relationship. Oh, they know that he does not approve of that. He does not condone sin. He does not agree with the decision and the lifestyle. I don't love you because of that. Church, hear me when I say this. Tolerance, I've said this before. 
James McDonald said this, tolerance is for people, not principles. Tolerance is for people. I love you. I, listen, I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you're an atheist, an agnostic, a Muslim, a Mormon, a, a, a seven, whatever you are. It doesn't make a difference. You're God. You are, you are an image bearer of the Most High God. And I love you. But you know why that's not possible? Because we allow sin to affect us more than our Savior to affect us. We allow sin to divide us and pull us away from one another rather than letting our Savior draw us to one another. Rather than allowing our Savior to compel us, to move us with compassion toward those who don't think like we think, who don't feel like we feel, who don't see things the way that we see things. Doesn't mean I agree with you. Doesn't mean I condone what you're doing. Sin is sin. But I'm going to do like the Father. The Scripture says it is the goodness of God that brings about repentance. <laughs> you know why I'm standing here today? Because of the goodness of God. Because while I was lost in my rebellion, while I was in incomplete and utter disrespect of God, he didn't stop loving me. He didn't stop extending his love toward me. He didn't stop showing me his goodness, his kindness, his mercy. Church, if we don't love God, we will not faithfully love others. I want you to think about this as, as, as you go throughout your day, throughout your week. Loving God is the only way we will faithfully love others. Our first commitment is loving God. I want you to turn with me to the book of Luke the book of Luke chapter 10, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 25 to verse 28. It's a, it's a famous parable. There's a parable here. We're not going to read the whole parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so you've heard that parable. But what I want to focus on is, the, is what leads up to Jesus telling this parable. Because we can get caught in the parable, but we miss the foundational part of why Jesus shared this parable. He didn't just throw this parable out there. Here's what happens. I hope you're there. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. He says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Now notice, pause with me. A certain lawyer stood up and tested him. This wasn't a extremely genuine question. As a matter of fact, I would say it was a disingenuous question. It was one of those got you questions. It wasn't like, I really want an answer. It was like, I just want to catch you. I want to see what you're going to respond. I want to be able to say, oh no, you, you know, you're wrong, teacher. Uh, that, that was the goal of, the, of, this, of this lawyer, one who knew the law well. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so what does Jesus do? Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? Let me answer your question with a question. Not just to be a jerk, but because I want to put it back on you. Well, you're asking me this question. What would you say is the way to gain eternal life? And so he goes on and he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind and your neighbor as your 
self. Now, whenever we think of this passage that I just read here, what do we think of? We think of Jesus' response to what is the greatest law of all. Remember that question, right? What's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus responds with these words. I chose this passage because, honestly, it's, it's a totally different perspective because what? It is not Jesus saying this. It is a lawyer who is saying this who apparently Jesus agrees with. How do I know that? Well, look at what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. And then what happens? Look at this. But he, speaking of the lawyer, wanting to justify himself to Jesus because he couldn't trip him up. So he's like, well, let's try it again. And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? The first thing I will ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, loving God, God. is not on your own terms. What does it mean to love God? We say it weekly, but what does, I, I know you know this, right? And, 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 I, and, and listen, I don't, I don't pretend like you don't know the answer here, right? But, but just like the lawyer knew the answer. But, but what I think is we need to be reminded of what it means to love God. That We have to understand loving God is never on our own terms. The problem with us today in this world that we live in is that we want to love God in our own terms. Therefore, we are recreating who God is. We are lowering the standard of who God is, and that's problematic because then you are worshiping an idol. You're not worshiping the one true God. You're not worshiping the God of heaven. See, we have an issue within our culture, and this is why this is so important. It's because in our present society, we have this issue with word meanings. It seems like we are constantly redefining words. You notice that? I was having a conversation with someone about racism the other day. Not the other day, like probably last year sometime, and I was, we were discussing the definition of the word racism. I want you to don't do it now, please, because I'm talking. But later on, just go look up, you know, in, in, in the dictionary, the word racism. And this person proceeded to tell me another definition for racism. And I was like, no, that's not racism. But you know what the problem is? We keep redefining words. We'll never deal with an issue because we keep making it an issue. I heard somebody very popular, you know, Lecrae, as a matter of fact, let me just put it out there. I'll call him out because I think I'm, I'm saddened by his, by his rhetoric. I love him. His music is great. One of the most talented people on the planet. But he says things. Like the other day, he was talking before all this stuff that happened at the Capitol, and he was like, white supremacy. White supremacy is not what we, when you and I think of white supremacy, I don't know about you, when I think of white supremacy, I'm thinking of the KKK, I'm thinking of some, and I'm just going to put, a, I'm a skinhead at the moment, but you know, not like that. <laughs> we got a couple of skinheads in the room, you know, but not like that, right? So I'm thinking of, of something like that. Oh, no, 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 no. White supremacy is just the majority culture being in positions of authority. That, that isn't what they're saying about what happened at the Capitol, y'all. So you can't just change definitions. You, you, you just can't do that. That's why it's offensive to say that. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to talk about this later on, defending the faith. But I want us to be crystal, crystal clear here. We have to understand that we, we, the reason why we have to know what we're defining, what we're talking about, is because if not, you know what happens? We start talking past each other. You've been in those conversations where you're going back and forth, like you're saying the same thing, but you're not understanding each other? 
You're, you're, you're using, I mean, this happens in marriage all the time. Come on now. For those of you that have been through love and respect, pink and blue, y'all are having a conversation. He said this, and you're like, what? And, he, and you're like, babe, how did you get that from what I said? Vice versa, right? It's not just a guy issue. It's just all this, you know, anyway. 23 years of marriage, it still happens, glory to God. There's some, Angel's been married a little longer than I have, right? And does it still happen? 40 years. Come on, somebody. They're still going on weekends to remember cruises and stuff like that because they're trying to get the communication right. Amen. Amen. There you go. You heard it. You heard it from the vet. Glory to God. 40 years in and it still happens. There's still miscommunication, misunderstanding. In our culture, it's the same way. And so we talk past each other. And can, can I just say this really quickly? The target is our kids. The target is those 20-something-year-olds. The target is those teenagers. The target are those folks. They're the ones that are hearing words being used, and they're like, oh, this means that. And then you come back, you try to say, nope, that's not what that means. They're like, oh, yeah, that, no, 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 that's not what that, oh, yeah, wait, wait a second, time out, time out. Let's go to the dictionary. You can't do that because I got a new dictionary. This is not new, right? I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, this is the redefinition of words and all that kind of stuff. Nonetheless, we have to be sure that we know what we're talking about so we're on the same page. So, whether, so, so when we think of this, what did Jesus say? He said, the, or the, the, the lawyer said, you shall love. Say love. love. The word love there is the, is the Greek word agape. Agapeos, right? To love the Lord. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength to love God. When you think of agape love, let's do a quick survey. When you think of the word agape, how many of you automatically think of unconditional love? Just raise your hand. No, this is not a trick question. Come on now. When you think of agape love, you think unconditional. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I do too. I've said it. But can I tell you something? The word unconditional is never mentioned in connection with the word agape. Did you hear what I just said? The word unconditional is never mentioned with the word agape. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something that's going to mess you all up right now, and and I I know you're going to be mad at me. I firmly believe God's love is conditional. Let me say it again. I firmly believe God's love is conditional. Hold on, Bishop, you're messing me up. Okay, really quick, hold your place here in Luke, but I want you to go with me to John chapter 15. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to the book. Amen. I'm going to give you one example, and I'm going to let you dig later on. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Are you there? Let's just, let, let, let's just read from verse 1. We'll just read from verse 1 so we can see this in its beautiful context as it unfolds. He says this in verse 1. He says, I am, the, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may be more, bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit apart from of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. So you hear what Jesus is saying? You got to be connected to him. Amen, right? That's what we got to be. We got to be connected to him. It's not just, we're not just going to bear fruit in of ourselves, but, but he goes on. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If, say if, if you keep my commandments, what does it say? You will abide in my love. So let me ask you a question. Is if a conditional word? Jesus said, if you abide in my commandments, you will abide in my love. I just said a moment ago, the reason I'm here today is because God continued to extend his love toward me. However, if I reject his love, I experience what? His wrath. I experience his judgment. If I don't abide in his love, guess what I become? I become an unfruitful branch. I become cut off. He says this clearly. He says, if you abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And look at this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. May be full. Listen, listen, listen. When we look at the word agape, we have to understand what it means. This is what agape means. Agape is a word that means this. It is devoted love motivated by the value placed on a person or thing. Agape, if you're writing definitions, if you're you know, taking notes, this is what agape is. Agape is devoted love that is motivated by the value placed on the person or thing loved. From God to us, it is undeserved love. Are you here? Not unconditional. It is undeserved. We can't earn it. We abide in his word, and if we abide in his word, if we abide in his commands, we will abide in his love. If we reject his commands, what do we do? What's the opposite? We experience his judgments. But listen, before God judges us, you know what he does? Before he judges us eternally, he extends his love. He extends his love. He shows his love. He shows his undeserved love. Now, from us toward him, it's not undeserved. It's well-deserved. See, what God does, here's what you have to understand, is that you and I are the image bearers of God. And so you know what God does? God extends his love toward us because what? Because he's placed value on you. Because he says you're valuable. I love the song that we sing here once in a while. Well, Sean, you know, he's, he's the one that leads it. But it's, it, the, the words are, you know, you, you and I are worth saving. 
You and I. You and I, right? It says, you thought I was worth saving. You thought I was worth saving. Why did God think that? Because he created you to save you. He created you with value. He created you to love you. God created you. So he, could, he, he, didn't, he didn't create anyone because, as a matter of fact, you go back to the garden. What does he say in the garden? He makes it clear in the garden what? Listen, I want you to experience life eternal. Don't eat of that tree because you eat of that tree, you will die. You can eat of everything else here. All of this is yours. What does God show us? God shows us his love. He exemplifies his love. You know what that means for us? Here's what it is. It means that God shows us his love toward us, his agape towards us, his devoted love towards us. And you know what we have to do? We have to respond to him. We have to respond to him. We have to respond to him and be like, wait a second, how does, so how do we love him? He said it here. He said, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your strength. How do we love God on his terms? We love God on his terms by loving him with all of our heart. What does heart mean? All of our mind, all of our will, all of our emotions, everything inside of us we love him with. Our soul, that, that's literally our breath. We love him with all of our being. With every breath that we take, I want to love him. With every breath that I take, I want to love him. We love him with all of our strength. That's physical. With every effort I make, with everything that I do, I do it for the glory of God. Whether it's working, whether it is being a husband or a wife, whether it's being a parent or a child, whether it's working in the yard, whether it's working out in a gym, whatever I do, all of my strength, I do it. Let me say this. It's so important for us to grasp. With God, it is all or nothing. The book of Isaiah says what? These people draw near to me with their lips. They honor me, but their hearts far from me. See, we think that this is just a New Testament thing. Where, where are they quoting from? <laughs> They're quoting from the Old Testament. From the Old Testament, God said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. You are supposed to love him, not just obey him. You're supposed to love him in obedience, but you're not supposed to walk around with your head down like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I got to obey. No. You're supposed to love him, to delight yourself in him is what we're supposed to be doing. Second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God, loving God, loving God. cannot be vertically, focused alone. be vertically focused alone. Loving God cannot be vertically focused alone. Jesus did this and the lawyer did this. When asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer, when the question was put back on him, he responded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength, or with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He understood this. He understood that loving God cannot solely be vertical, but it also has to be horizontal. It's not just about you and I loving God alone. Notice what the lawyer does. The lawyer gives the right answer. 
Jesus affirms the right answer, but then he wants to renege on what he knows is right. Scripture says he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to change the terms of what love is. And so what did he do? He wanted to renegotiate these terms. He wanted to go back to the drawing board and said, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Can I tell you what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't lower the standard of what a neighbor was. Jesus didn't, um, you know, make the net more narrow. He broadened the net. He, he made sure that loving your neighbor was as broad as possible, that the standard was as high as possible. He doesn't lower the bar of, of neighborly love. He raises the bar. He widens the net. He ups the ante for neighborly love. The Apostle John, and you can look at this. You know, we're not going to turn there right now. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 to verse 21 is where the scripture says, How can you say you love God whom you have not seen, and yet you hate, you don't love your neighbor? I mean, you're your brother. How can you who you whom you have seen? How, how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen? How can you say you love him, and yet the one that's sitting next to you, the image bearer of God, I, don't, I can't stand him. I can't stand her. It's a heart issue. Loving God cannot just be vertically, because, you know, it's real easy. It's real easy. I'm, I'm gonna talk, we, we're going to hit this hard next week, this, this, this vertical, you know, I mean, the horizontal relationship stuff, the growing together, because this has been attacked in big ways especially since last year. We're going we, to get there. We're going to talk about that. But, but, but the fact is, this is what the Apostle John tells us in the name of love. Now, hear me when I make this list real quick. You are called to love your brother. Everybody says, amen, I can love my brother. That means your brother physically, right, like your biological brother, or your brother that is in Christ, not brother because it's the family of God, right? So we're called to love our brother. Then we're called to go outside of that and love our neighbor. And some of y'all are like, I don't know, man, my neighbors, they messed up. You want me to love my neighbor? I don't know. But Jesus doesn't leave it at brother or neighbor. Jesus says you are to love your enemy. Oh, my goodness. Some of y'all are like, well, I got brothers that are enemies and neighbors that are enemies, so I'm all good. Amen. All right, that's fine. <laughs> well, what that means is that your enemy you still have to love. That's just factual. What does he tell you in the name of love? Forgive your offenders. Hmm. Meet the needs of the hurting. This is in the name of love. Bless those who curse you, and the list goes on and on. I want to be clear about something. Now, hear me when I say this. Loving people does not mean you love God. Hear what I just said. Loving people does not mean you love God. I had, I had the opportunity to work on something for the city, an initiative for the city, and, and worked with a, a person who, was, who is an atheist. And I want to tell you that this guy is probably one of the most humble, one of the nicest, one of the, I mean, just the most servant-hearted people in the, in the interactions that I had with him. I mean, he worked on a document pretty much by himself, did all of the, all of the footwork for this initiative. All I had to do was review something, was on two phone calls with him for two hours. But I can tell you that if I looked at that guy and I didn't know that he was, I mean, I'm like, man, was he really an atheist? Because... You think, right, that anybody who doesn't love God is like got horns on and like they're hateful and condescending and disrespectful. Nope. Nope. Not at all. But can I tell you something? He doesn't love God. 
He probably loves people better than I do. He is for sure, hear me when I say this, for sure a better neighbor than I am. I can almost guarantee you he knows his neighbors on his block. I can almost guarantee you that he helps people at the, man, at the drop of a hat. Someone has a need, boom, homeboy is there. I can assure you of that. I can assure you of that. But I want to also assure you he does not love God. But here's the other side of that coin. If you don't love your neighbor, if you don't love your brother, your love for God is in question. Not because I say it, God says it. How can you say you love God whom you haven't seen and you don't love your brother that you see? We go to 1 John, it actually calls you a liar. Ouch. The overflow of love for God is love for others. We'll talk about that next week. Third thing, I'm almost done. I just need like 20 more minutes, but here we go. I got two minutes and I got to be done. Say this with me. Say, loving God must be rightly motivated. Loving God must be rightly motivated. We have to love God for the right reasons. We cannot just love God because we get a ticket out of hell. That's not real love. Hmm. That's just wanting the benefits of, oh, man, I just don't want to go to hell. It's not real love. Going as far back as the book of Leviticus, keeping God's commands are synonymous with life. You can't have life under God's judgment. Amen? You can't have life. If you, if you are under God's judgment, you can't have life. You can't experience life. You can't experience real joy. You can't experience real peace. If you're, you know, in an adulterous affair or, you know, if you're out there drugging and drinking and, and just and living this, you, you, listen, you may be having fun, but you're not experiencing life. You may be enjoying some things, but you're not experiencing life. Life is, 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 is something that Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3. He makes it clear, and this is eternal life, to know God, to know the Father, and to know Jesus, the one who was sent. So what we understand about life is this, is that eternal life, remember, that's the question, how do I get eternal life is what the lawyer asked. How do I get eternal life? Eternal life begins with a salvific knowledge of God. It is when we come, and Jesus says this, and if you're, if you're there in the book of Luke um, chapter 10, just look at verse 28 really quickly, and it says this. It says, and he said, you have answered rightly, and look at this, do this and you will live. You will live. You will continue to experience life. All the way back to Leviticus, Leviticus 18, 5, it says that those who keep my commandments, they will what? That they will live by them. Life is, is something that, as, as I thought about this, I'm like, man, this is, this is more than just me living because Jesus is being asked about eternal life and he connects this and he says, do them and you will live. 
do them and you will have life. When you look at what the way the Greeks looked at this, physical vitality is this word of, of, of organic beings, animals, men, and also life. Life is understood not as a thing, but as vitality, as the nature or manner which characterizes all living creatures as such. Life is this thing. It's this vibrancy. It's this vigor. It is this thing that happens. And here's what we have to understand. Our motivation to love God on his terms is that we experience life. We experience the breath. We experience the vitality. We experience the source of eternal life that is satisfying and fulfilling beyond what any temporal activity can offer alone. What happens is when we love God, we experience life. We experience this, this, this thing that is almost unexplainable when you're in a relationship with God. It's like our time today as we were singing these songs, as we were loving on God, we were experiencing that life. That's something that, that I know if you're like me, you were like, man, I don't want to leave this place. You were like, Bishop, just put your mask back on and sing. <laughs> You know, music ministry continue to sing. We don't, we don't have to, li listen, listen, why? Because that was life. That life happens when what? That life happens when we obey God. When we, when we, when we obey what God says, we experience this. But here's the problem. The problem is, in order to experience that life, you have to keep God's commands perfectly. And you know why the lawyer was trying to justify himself? Because he knows he can't love his neighbor the way he's supposed to. He knows he can't love God the way he's supposed to. Not perfectly. And so he's like, wait a second, wait a second. Well, who's my neighbor? I know who God is, but who's my neighbor? Because if I can lower the bar here, then I can feel satisfied. If, if I can lower my walk with God to just coming to church once in a while. If I can lower my walk with God to just giving some money, right? If I can lower my walk with God to just doing some things, then I'm good. But when I have to love my brother that I can't stand, when I have to love my neighbor that is impossible, when I have to love my enemy that hates me, when I've got to forgive those who have offended, who have hurt, when I've got to do all that, when I, wait, wait a second, wait, oh my goodness, <laughs> it's overwhelming, it's supposed to be. Because the greatest motivation for loving God is reciprocal. We love him because he loved us first. We love him because he loved us first. And where do we see God's love most clearly? In the gospel. We're going to partake of communion in a moment. When we partake of communion, it is this beautiful gospel picture, this reminder of the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. It is a reminder of the broken body, the shed blood. It is a reminder I'm loved. I'm not just loved in words. I'm loved in action. I'm not just loved in feeling. I'm loved in action. Someone gave his life because when I fall short, I fall back on him. When I fail to love my neighbor the way God says, guess what? I have an advocate with the Father that I can run to. See, the beauty 
of our relationship with God, the reciprocity. I, li- I like that word. It's, I, you know, someone, someone accused me yesterday of using big words. I guess I do. Hello. It's reciprocal. You know, it's kind of like I, you know, I speak Spanish as my second language, right? And there's just some words in Spanish, man, that they just, they, they, they just don't express, you know? They, they don't express the same in English. And so you got to use some big words. Hello, come on now. Reciprocity. It's reciprocal. I experience his love because he's good. I experience his love because he died for me. And when I forget that I'm loved, when I don't feel loved, when I know that I've blown it, when I know that I've fallen short, when I know that I'm struggling to forgive someone who's hurt me so deeply, when I know those things and I'm like, God, I can't do it, he says, I died for you. I rose for you. I am here for you. I love you. I love you. And I want you to love me. I want you to love me. Because when you love me, you experience my joy. You experience life. And I want you to be motivated by that. Here's my closing question for you. Are you fully loving God on his terms? Not yours, not how you want to, on his terms. Bow your head, please. Lord, as we prepare for communion, Let our hearts be reminded that we are deeply loved. That we are loved in an undeserved way. That we are loved in a manner that we can never earn. And no matter where we are right now, Lord God, may we cry out to you, call upon you, submit and surrender our lives to you, God. May we love you as you command us to love. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If the ushers would come forward, if you don't have communion, they will serve you. I don't.